0: Good morning. morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Good Good morning. There you are. Now we're awake. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning on this beautiful May morning. I'm so glad to see all of you, so glad that you are here. And whether you are here with us in person or online, we are honored and grateful for your presence. I also wanna say a special word of welcome to any of you who might be visiting with us this morning. We are particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. We do communion every week. Uh, So if you're new with us, there are instructions on the insert to your order of worship, or just follow the people around you. They will not lead you wrong and they probably know what they're doing. Uh, As we say often here at Northminster, the best thing that we can bring to worship is ourselves. So I am glad that you have brought yourself to worship today. Several announcements for you this morning. Uh, The first, if you will look on the insert to your order of worship, you will see uh, that we have some upcoming dates. Next, Sunday the 21st, is our potluck and business meeting. uh, You will see the dates there for Vacation Bible School, so mark your calendars for that. There will be a sign-up sheet out soon not just for kids, but for volunteers, which, of course, make the whole process run. Our youth will also be uh, selling the Handmade Tide dyed Northminster t-shirts with our, uh, the Micah quote on it that we all love so much. Um, I cannot wait to get one. I hope you all feel the same way. That is a fundraiser for our, our youth as they go to camp. That list will also be out soon for you to sign up for that with your size, so make sure you're on the lookout for that. And then today after worship, we will have uh, what we started last week, a time of fellowship. It's not required. Uh, You certainly don't have to stick around, but we hope that you will. And not only that you will stick around, have a cup of coffee, juice for the kids, but also put a name tag on. Um, It can be hard for us to admit that even in a space that isn't that big, we don't all know each other's names. Um, So make that easier on each other. Put on a name tag put your whole name on it and just spend some time visiting with folks let them get to know you all right I think that is everything so what I'm going to ask now is for you to take a deep breath we take this deep breath as I say every week to center ourselves to let our minds and our hearts catch up with our bodies and as you do this as you breathe deeply close your eyes if it helps I want to remind you that this is a place for people who have given up on church. This is a church for folks who maybe wouldn't be comfortable in other places. We fully embrace that. If you think you're weird, you're in the right place. (laughs) I often describe Northminster to other people as the island of misfit toys. You all have heard me say that before. And I stand by that. That is a badge of honor. I think it's a wonderful thing to be just a little bit different. So whatever different you are, you have a place here, and we are glad that you are here. So take that deep breath. Know that whatever you bring with you today, you are loved by the God who created you. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out your distractions, breathe out those things that keep you from being able to worship fully, and then hear our call to worship.
1: Did you hear about Christ? Yes, we heard the truth that is in Jesus. Were you taught how to live? Yes, we were taught to turn away from old habits. Do you want to be remade? Yes, we want to be more like God. We want to know what is right, and we want to do what is right. Will you live a life of love? Yes, we refuse to grumble and gossip. We won't be catty or harsh. We will be kind and caring as best we can. We will forgive as we have been forgiven. Will you copy Christ? Yes, because he first loved us and showed us how to love each other.
0: Amen. Amen. microphone is on. Hello. I'm so glad to see you. Got some new friends here today. Hi, girls. Glad you're here. So I have a question for you. Look at me. Focus, focus, focus. Did you know that in some religions that your religion helps you decide what sort of clothing you should wear? Did you know that? So in some religions, your religion tells you maybe how long your skirt should be if you're a girl. It tells you when you should or shouldn't cut your hair. It tells you if you're a man and you have a long beard when you should or shouldn't cut your beard. Like religions all have kind of different rules about what are really good things to wear. Did you know that? Some of you did, you did. Well, I wanna read you this book. This is called Under My Hijab. Can you say hijab? Hijab. Hijab. So a hijab is a head covering that is worn, usually, though I don't know always, you know what those are, by women who are Muslim, who practice the Islamic faith, and it's something that their religion helps them understand is important, so I'm going to read you this book, and then afterwards, if you want to look at it again, you can, okay? Grandma peeks into the oven as a brown loaf of bread starts to rise. Her hijab is carefully folded like the crust of my favorite pies. So do you see there's Grandma with her hijab while she's baking? When she's at home in her kitchen, Grandma fixes her hair in a bun. We mix up some chocolate cookies and share a sweet treat when they're done. So you see now she's at home. Grandma doesn't have a hijab on. She just has her hair up in a bun. Do you see that? Let's see. All right. Auntie works hard in her studio. She always dresses funky and cool. Her silky hijab towers up high, pinned with a handmade jewel. Do you see her there with her hijab on? While she's at work, she's wearing her hijab. I help hang my very own painting on the wall of her colorful home. Auntie's hair is streaked with pink and purple, a fine work of art she can comb. So you see, without her job on, do you see how much fun her hair is, how many colors she has on it? You see that? Okay, one more example. Iman tries to earn her first black belt. A sporty hijab frames her face. When she cracks a board into pieces, I'm amazed her hijab stays in place. So do you see, even though she's exercising and being really active, she can still wear her hijab. See that? I know some of you do martial arts, so this is important. At my house, we dance to some music. I teach him on moves that I know. My cousin's curls bounce, jump, and tumble as we put on our own show. So here's the really important part of the book. You ready? These wonderful girls and smart women inspire me with all they do. I can wear my hijab like each of them to try something totally new. You see that? All these beautiful ladies wear their hijabs on. So, why do you think I'm reading you this book. What do we think? Any thoughts? Anybody have an idea? What do you think? That's exactly right, Ryder. Good job. So we are not Muslim. The women here don't wear hijabs. If you chose to, that would be okay. But it's important for us, even in this church, to learn about other people of other faiths, not only so that we are educated, but so that we can be respectful, right? Because do we see a lot of people wearing a head covering when we're going around our daily life? No. No, probably not here in Monroe. But if you do, answer your question just a second. If you do... Now you kind of understand what they're doing, why they're wearing it. And when we understand things, it makes being respectful, it makes being kind even easier. What was your question? Good, so you've seen this in real life, yeah. So that's part of the reason we do this is so that we can continue to learn and we can be respectful of other people, just like we want them to be respectful of us. Because sometimes when we see people who dress differently, we go, oh gosh, it's kind of weird. But if we understand why, it's not so weird. It's just something that they do and maybe we don't. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about that this week. Think about how, yeah, some people are different. They may look different. They may dress different. They may have different abilities than we do but part of understanding those things helps us to be kind and to be loving, okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Everybody turn around, face the congregation, sit up nice and straight and tall, hands in your laps, and we're gonna say a prayer together. I will say the first line. I want you to say it back to me nice and loud. Congregation, you are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. Kids, I think you can be louder. The love, of comes the love of Christ comes shining through. You can even be a little bit louder. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am there to be with you. Much better. Oh holy, child of God. oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Holy One who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Holy One comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Holy One except the one who is from God. He has seen God. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of our Lord.
0: Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your perfect parenting, for your love that does not choose favorites but fills the earth with your goodness. We give thanks this day for those who have passed your love on to us, for all who have nurtured us in your word and who have given us life along the way. We remember those who struggle today and ask your blessing of comfort and sorrow, courage in the face of challenge, and the wholeness that can only come from picking up the pieces. We give you thanks that in your eyes each of us is enough, and you welcome us as we are, to stand in your grace and experience your peace. You, Lord, are a God of every nation and people, and so this day we pray for peace among the nations. We cry out for an end to conflict and also for the building of justice, for communities that practice compassion and kindness, and for the determination to care for the earth so that all people have enough. We pray for those who are suffering, that they may know your presence with them and sense your care. We pray, too, for your body, for when one member suffers, all suffer together. And so we ask for the grace to reach out with compassion and with help, without platitudes or clichés, trusting your love to flow through us. We offer our prayers for those whose patience is wearing thin, who are tired of enduring and long for progress toward healing, for bodies and minds and communities and nations and the entire earth. May there be growth and movement toward a better future, that looks ever more like your kingdom vision. We lift up this day especially young people who are discerning who they are, whose characters being formed, that they may know themselves in your image and surround themselves with people, ideas, and opportunities to grow into the people you would have them be, to serve and lead, to be generous and kind, to build one another up and move the world toward abundant life and we pray this day for those who hope O god for those who have lost hope when we have hit the bottom may we find your hope there holding us up when we dig down deep may we find your hope welling up inside us you have promised that hope does not disappoint us and so we look to you praying you would show a way forward when all seems lost a breath of possibility when other doors have closed just enough light for the next right step oh Lord in this world where we often feel we are not enough not good enough, fast enough, smart enough pretty enough, fit enough, rich enough you declare that in Christ we belong we give you thanks for making a place for us in your family and for giving us all we need to fulfill your plans for us help us to recognize your gifts and use them well for the building of your kingdom on earth. We ask these things in the name of the risen one who brings us into fullness of life through his own life among us, Jesus the Christ, amen.
1: So then, putting away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Those who steal must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor, doing good work with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave of himself for us. A reminder of what it means for us to be imitators of God. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Because I said so, what part of no did you not understand? You will be on your best behavior. Hey, Mom, Dad, can I have this? Not today. These are phrases I heard often growing up. I see some head nods. My dad is here, so you can blame him. Don't get me wrong. I have wonderful parents. My childhood was very happy, uh, but my parents were strict. There were TV shows I was not allowed to watch, places I was not supposed to go, and behavioral choices, let's call them, that got me into trouble every time if I chose to act that way. Now, because of this, I got pretty good at being able to anticipate when one of those trusty parental phrases was going to be pulled out of the vault. As a teenager, I promised myself I would never, under any circumstances, use any of those phrases. They would not come out of my mouth. I would talk things out with my kids. I would explain the reason for my decisions. I would trust my children to behave. I wouldn't need to tell them. All of the parents in the room are going, yeah, right. (laughs) Then I went into ministry for the first time. Uh, And if you did not know, I was a youth minister at a church in St. Louis for six years. And within the first three weeks of being responsible for other people's children, my mother's voice came out of my mouth (laughs) suddenly it was as if the clouds parted and I realized because I said so is not a parental cop out it is a time saving measure (laughs) it keeps you from having to list the 15 reasons this person in front of you shouldn't go touch an electric fence that they just haven't thought about yet It saves you from having to explain why they shouldn't walk too far into the woods at the retreat center in the middle of hunting season. That could end badly. It also saves you from having to have a conversation, and this happened with one of my kids, about why they put a pencil sharpener in the freezer. And his response was, well, it got hot, so he put it in the freezer. We didn't find that thing for a week. It was frozen solid. Now, I know, because I said so, is a way for parents to maintain your sanity, rather than going to the trouble of explaining to an audience that probably isn't listening anyway. Just as I understand, as an adult with my own expenses, that my parents' other favorite phrase, not today, when I asked them to buy me something, was due to a tight family budget. Confronted with these and similar versions of parental standbys the flaky friend who has an excuse every time that one uncle who never runs out of a list of things to complain about that community member who habitually calls the church for gas money when we encounter these people the temptation is to throw our hands up and say me tell me something i don't know and there are times when that's justified There are also times that if we were to give that flaky friend a chance to talk, we'd realize they're struggling with depression. Or we'd understand that our uncle is terribly lonely and doesn't know any other way to get our attention. And that person, who calls the church every month like clockwork, is in an abusive relationship, and her boyfriend takes any money she's able to save. On the surface, these things sound like the same thing we've heard before. But when we take the time to listen, to ask questions, and to look deeper, the landscape of our lives take on new dimensions. That is also the case with this morning's passage from Ephesians. These verses sound exactly like the kind of thing you should hear in church, don't they? As one of my seminary professors was inclined to say, this is the Sunday school answer of scripture passages. Don't go to bed angry, don't steal, don't say dirty words, don't upset God, forgive each other, love each other. On the surface, this sounds like common sense, the kind of thing anyone attempting to just be a nice human would be able to identify with. Parents could do worse than raising children who did these things. But as you know, there is more than what's on the surface any time we read the Bible. As we peel away the layers of this text, these seemingly straightforward verses become a little more complicated. And the first thing we learn is that this morning's passage is an example of what is called a virtue list. Now, virtue lists are exactly what they sound like they are a grouping of ethical values into lists and they can be found in diverse cultures, diverse religions from Iran and India to Egypt and Mediterranean cultures. These lists made their way into the New Testament due to the influence of Hellenistic or Greek people and Jewish literature. Our passages role as a virtue list matters because scholars believe it served a catechetical function in the early church. Catechetical. Y'all want to take a stab at saying that? Catechetical. Catechetical. Some of you are brave. Thank you. It's your seminary word for the day, let's call it. It comes from the word catechesis. It's a Greek word that means instruction by formal word of mouth. So, catechesis, is a formal way of describing religious education. That's all it is. Anyone who grew up Catholic will be familiar with this language as the Catholic Church teaches the Catholic catechism. That's where that word comes from. This language, if you grew up Protestant of any flavor, probably less familiar to you. Um, Though it would be fair to say that our Sunday school, which for those of you who are new and might not know, we have for all ages, Sunday school is our form of catechesis, okay? In the early church, people were called catechumen. So we've reformed this word. And they were called this during their preparation for baptism. That's why scholars talk about this passage serving a catechetical function. And that matters because it tells us this passage was likely used as sort of a pre-baptism source material. And Paul's language about putting away, that's the way the message translates it, Paul's language about putting away and taking on an entirely new way of life can then be read through a baptismal lens. Y'all tracking with me? Good, I see some head nods. This background also tells us this isn't just another passage about being a nice person. As commentator G. Porter Taylor puts it, the works described by Paul are not merit badges for us to set out to achieve. Rather, they are marks of a new life given to us in baptism. Now, we all know, at least I hope you know, the waters of baptism are not magical. If they were, I would uh, be bottling the bayou right now and selling that stuff in a heartbeat. Those of you who are from different denominational backgrounds might disagree with me on this, and that's totally fine. But I see the water of baptism, the water itself, is fairly inconsequential. To me, it is the act, the ordinance, the sacrament, the inbreaking of the divine during a baptism that matters. For there is a transformation of those who are in Christ because as we enter into the new life of Christ... We enter into a community and a new culture with a particular way of living life with one another. And this is the other part of the passage that we can miss if we're dismissive, if we adopt a tell-me-something-I-don't-know sort of attitude. What Paul lists here revolves entirely around community. So much so, and so much more than a no-brainer, Uh, the Sunday school fodder it appears to be. Paul's words here exhibit a practicality for living a community-centric life. Paul's words in this passage exhibit a practicality for living a community-centric life. For example, Paul tells the Ephesians not to go to bed angry. Any of you who are married or have been in a long-term partnership know that just does not happen sometimes. But He says this not because anger is inherently sinful, it's not. Paul says this because he understands anger to be a normal part of the human experience. There are even times that anger can be justified, but left unchecked, anger can fester. Angry people tend to make rash choices and can endanger themselves and those around them. Paul's encouragement not to let anger get a foothold is to protect the community. As commentator Brian Peterson observes, anger is always disruptive and can quickly become corrosive to the community God is calling forth. In that same vein, Paul says Christians must give up thievery. And as Jamie Clark Stolls asks, is, uh, she asked this question, she's a scholar asked this question, Is this so that one might escape from the fires of hell because it is debased or unjustifiable? No, it's because thievery, because theft, does not allow for contributions to the needy. Rather than taking from others, the members of the church are called to work so that they can pass something along to the poor. Don't just take it and give it away, work for it and pass it along. This is a call to pay open-eyed attention to the needs of those around us so that we can discern the good thing that our neighbor needs and then do it. The last item on this virtue list I want to unpack is this idea of, as the message phrases it, saying only what helps. Now between us, and don't tell the others, my hackles are instantly raised when someone says they need to tell me something in love. I hate that phrase. It always makes me get my back up. I know it's biblical. I know it's Christian. It's how we are supposed to communicate with one another. But people so often use that phrase as a weapon. I've also had the telling me something in love uh, used against me, uh, and I want to tell you about that. There was a woman, the church I served in St. Louis. I'm not going to tell you anything about her. Uh, I'm going to call her Dot. Um, beyond telling you that she was what we would nicely call an experienced member of the congregation, if you know what I mean? Um, we knew each other, but given that I was the youth minister and she was very much not the age for the youth group, We didn't interact very much except for a Wednesday night Bible study that we both attended and I sometimes led. So when she called and made an appointment to see me, I was confused but happy to see her. Uh, The reason for her making the appointment became clear very quickly. Dot did not hesitate. Uh, The minute she walked into my office before her tush hit the chair, demanding to hear my conversion story. When were you converted? When did you meet Christ? I was taken aback uh, and tried to explain that I don't have a conversion story. I grew up in church. I have always believed in God. I would never really had to be convicted otherwise. Uh, That answer was not good enough. And Dot continued on, clearly deeply concerned, um, but she continued on with her list. She had a written list, um, and in very angry tones, told me it bothered her deeply that I had said in a Wednesday night Bible study that there are two creation stories in Genesis. My explanation for this is because there are two <laughs> creation <laughs> stories in Genesis. Scholarly research shows that they come from two different traditions within Judaism. Judaism. She didn't like that answer and said something like, uh, that's what they're teaching in the seminaries these days. Yeah, it is, It's exactly what they're teaching. (laughs) It was about that time I realized Dot had come to this meeting armed with that list of complaints she kept looking back at that list and I realized these were all the complaints she had for me and from there it was rapid fire I wasn't doing enough to get the youth baptized how could I even teach them if I didn't have a conversion story I surely wasn't doing enough to teach them about the Bible had I seen what they were wearing to church on Sunday particularly the girls and was I sure I didn't have a conversion story you aren't a true Christian without one On and on and on, Dot went for almost two hours. Now, being new to ministry, I was hesitant to ask her to leave. If I had to do it again, I would have ended it (laughs) when she compared me to Satan. Um, Because she did. But I was a baby minister. I, I didn't know what to do until these words came out of her mouth. And then there's what you're teaching the kids about the gays. I know how much you love the gays. At that point, I cut her off. I told her we would just have to agree to disagree on gay people. I wasn't gonna engage in that particular conversation. We could not have that conversation productively. Then I stood, thanked her for coming, and literally forced her out the door. She left saying she would pray for me and my salvation because she was very concerned. And you know what? First of all, it's a meeting I will never forget. Second of all, of all the times I've been told people are praying for me, I know Dot followed up. (laughs) She did pray for me. She might still be praying for me if she's still alive. Praying for my salvation. I also know to my bones that she was sincere Sincere is a heart attack about her concerns. She meant every word she said. And honestly, all these years later, that meeting is one of the things that is the most memorable of my entire ministry. But I hope it's clear that Dot was not saying only what helps. She came into that meeting knowing she was right and that she could fix what was wrong with me. And though she was sincere, sincerity should never be used to tear someone down. There is no excuse for speaking truth and love as a vehicle for expressing our frustrations and our anger. And when our goal is to put someone in their place, to make them feel small, there is nothing loving about our words or actions. Nothing. Rather, as commentator Susan Halen describes it, speaking truth in love should be a healing strategy. Such speech identifies the situation for what it is, calling others into account, giving voice to feelings, and confessing one's own participation in wrongdoing. When love is the framework, that sort of healing can result. Throughout this passage, Paul sets up contrasts. Avoid destructive behaviors like lying, stealing, and harmful language that can tear community apart. Embrace behavior such as telling the truth, contributing your resources to the community, acknowledging your part in times of conflict. Be gentle with each other, sensitive, and thoroughly forgiving. None of this is easy. But the biggest challenge in these verses is one Paul doesn't mention. The biggest challenge of these verses is what happens when we lay down behaviors that damage our community. When we're mindful of others' needs and strip away the armor that even the most open of us have around our internal self. The hardest part of this passage is to become vulnerable. But it is in vulnerability that we finally have a real shot at intimacy at knowing and being known. Beloved, the good news this morning is that we are a community. And as a community, we are called to love as Christ loves. Paul tells us that Christ's love isn't cautious, it is extravagant. God doesn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything to us. As God's children, we do not just love, love God. We do not just praise or worship God. We don't just thank God. We also aim to imitate God, minding and then closing the gap between God's behavior and our own. God's love becomes vulnerable in the person of Jesus, and Jesus makes that love intimate by sharing his life with others. We, in turn, embody this love when we take the time to get beyond our external self, the thing that we present to the world every day. We do this, we embody this love when we treat our community as beloved, a living thing formed by the children of God, each with their own stories, their own abilities, their own needs. Each of us has our own place here. Each of us is necessary, and each of us is wanted by the God who created us all. So with this in mind, I want to challenge you this week to make yourself vulnerable to someone sitting around you. To open yourself up to the intimacy that forms and stabilizes a vibrant community. Plan a time to share a meal. Send someone a card, even if it's out of the blue. Tell someone you've known for years why you value their friendship. Come clean with someone who hurt your feelings. And don't end the conversation until you have healed the hurt. Ask your spouse or partner what their favorite hymn is and why. Get your children or your grandchildren to tell you their favorite thing about church and share yours with them. And if all else fails, turn to someone you don't even know that well and say, tell me something I don't know. I promise you they will not roll their eyes. I enjoyed that. As we come to this time of Easter Communion, we celebrate the risen Christ and embrace the grace which reaches out to us from the tomb. We embrace the faith of Christ by committing to love and action. On this day, we shout hallelujah. Christ is risen. It is through our neighbors and through creation that we see the rising of Christ. We celebrate the shifting of seasons from one to the next. As the earth moves from winter to spring, or here in Louisiana, winter to summer, it begins to drink in the warm rains, and creation comes alive once again. And so in this spirit of brightness and life, we celebrate. We celebrate the risen Christ in our midst. We celebrate the table at which we can join with friends and with strangers, loved ones and even enemies. Through this meal, which has stood the test of time, we covenant to love God. Through a simple meal of grain and grape, we, the children of God, unite. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. This is holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with your doubts, with your shortcomings, with your failures, with your griefs. No matter what you bring to this table with you, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, would you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen because of his relentless pursuit of love Jesus was seized by those in power but before he was seized Jesus introduced this meal to his followers And even though he knew the end was coming, he joined with his friends at the table, sharing time and space with those with whom he had grown closest. As the night lengthened, Jesus took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with the disciples, urging them, Remember me. And then after supper was over, Jesus took a cup. And during his blessing of that cup, he reminded the disciples how he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Today we celebrate that earth-shaking love of Jesus, a love that sent him to the cross and brought him out of the tomb a love that lives with us eternally, encouraging us to live resurrected lives. Amen. that time of the year for us to recognize and celebrate our graduates. Uh, I think Naomi is our only one here today. Our other graduates this year, I don't bite, come here, (laughs) are Kaylee Grassi, Jojo Clark, and Hal Mayfield. Kaylee is graduating from Delta Community College, Jojo from LSU, and Hal from ULM. Naomi, of course, I think most of you know, she is one of our wonderful choral scholars graduating. And what is your degree in? vocal music education, girl's going to be a teacher. So we celebrate you today, we celebrate your accomplishments. She specifically asked for a new Bible, so she has chosen the voice Bible. It's a wonderful option for theater creative folks like this one. Um, So on behalf of Northminster, this is for you. We are so proud of you. We are so grateful for you. So congratulations. Congratulations. Let's sing together our closing hymn. (laughs) Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with distaste, with superficial worship, so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice, so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow, so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Amen.